Well, I get the, uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, something that's changed here and to invite you into it. And what's changed here is our session, some of what you saw today, which are made up of our elders, which are those that have been appointed by the Lord to oversee, shepherd, care, and nurture you guys, uh, went on a journey starting probably at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, to rewrite our mission statement. And uh, we began to wrestle with the whole idea of what our mission statement was and whether or not it needed to be rewritten. So what is the mission statement of Midtown Fellowship? Let's cast that aside. We're not even going to answer that question. Here's the new one. <laughs> Creating a movement of gospel transformation through multiple congregations. Now what does that mean? And why did our leadership... Is that up there? Why did our leadership decide that now's the time for us to crystallize this? To make it important? Well, let me just talk for a few minutes about what we believe gospel transformation is. And starting with what it's not. Uh, there's a lot of people in this room. But I can assure you that we do not believe that gospel transformation is the same thing as building a church. That it's never been our design to come down here and try to build a church. It's not a community where you find a lot of people that are committed to prayer or what prayer is, or trying to pray, or people that carry big Bibles, or people that carry Bibles at all, or people that like to drink coffee, as was said up there, or people who are beautiful, or Jesus. You know, it's funny, it's not about a community that looks good, it's not about a community that has a lot of hype, it's not about a community that puts on a great show. It's really not about a community that's able to do stuff up here on the stage that when you leave, you go, wow, that was awesome. That was amazing. That's not what gospel transformation is all about. Matter of fact, when you look at the gospels, and this is what makes me nervous about this many people in the room, when Jesus got around large crowds, he always seemed to sabotage it. He always seemed to do something that kind of messed up the big movement. Didn't he? He always talked about drinking blood, eating flesh, and doing stuff like that. People said, that's too much for me. And they scattered. Or he'd get in a boat and go somewhere. What is gospel transformation? Because we can look like a community. And I can tell you this. I am through. If this is what we're about, is if we're about just putting another church in Nashville, if we're about just another place that people go on Sunday morning so that you don't feel guilty because you stayed home and ate your pancakes at your house instead of coming here, if we're just about creating another place, but this place is a little bit more comfortable, or maybe it feels a little bit more like home, or it's not as boring as the place across the street, if that's all that we're doing, we're through. If that's it. Because we can dress up and look like the church and not be the church at all. I can go to the Nashville Marathon, you know, Music City Marathon in April, and I can dress like one of those uh, guys in the front, you know, one of the Kenyan runners with the really short shorts. You know, that kind of come up awkwardly, like if you wear those and you're running by yourself, people go, ooh, stay away. You know, but when you're in the front of the line, and I can stand there like those guys do, you know, with, uh, with the watches, you know, and, like they don't trust the timer on their ankle, you know, because they're just too good. And I can even wear one of those Speedwalker aerodynamic helmets that cut the wind for me. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm going to finish the marathon. It doesn't mean anything. I can look the part, but not have any reality to it. And I'm just saying to you that 
if you're looking the part, if you're here this morning because you've gone to church all your life, and this is where you think you're supposed to be on Sunday morning, wow, let us throw a hand grenade in that and say, stay home. Seriously. But if you're here on a journey, and that journey is maybe the God of the universe really does exist, and maybe there's a remote possibility that God not only exists, but He is in pursuit of you. And you're here this morning because you're responding to a supernatural pursuit that's going on inside of you and around you that maybe you don't even understand right now. Hang on to your shorts. What is gospel transformation? Just dream with me just for a few minutes, okay? Dream with me about a community where people are really changed. I hear a lot about change. I see it seldom. Don't you? I'm talking about a community where people are really being changed. To where something is birthed by the redemption of the cross. That what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, and then when he rose again from the dead, is birthing a reality right here, right now in us. For example, that we are a people that honestly believe that we are forgiven. That when Jesus went to the cross, He took all my sins with Him. And He said, I remember them no more. I throw them as far as the east is from the west. And we are a people that actually believe that we are forgiven. And we're set free. Well, what does that mean? I mean, imagine a community of people that's not defined by guilt anymore. Imagine a community of people where leaders don't use guilt to try to get you to do something. Imagine a community of people that say guilt is a sour excuse for a motivation and we want to replace it with love. Imagine a community that says, I want to press into that place to where guilt, guilt, what was that, loses its grip on you. Imagine a community of people that shame no longer plays a role in defining who you are. Oh. I can tell you, that is going to mess up so much of your family history. Because shame is so crucial in shaping our children to be good citizens. Imagine this. Imagine of a community of people that no longer apologize for who they are. Or no longer are fighting to prove to each other that you're okay. Imagine a community of people that no longer are defining themselves. Listen to this. That we as a community are no longer defining ourselves by our sexuality. That we're no longer defining ourselves by how much money we have or how much money we don't have. Imagine a community of people that's not defining itself by how you look. Whether or not you're beautiful. And who defines that? Like that is just so bizarre, isn't it? Imagine a community of people where we refuse to stand in our mirror when nobody else is around and we refuse to put that label on ourselves. Imagine being set free from that. Imagine a community of people that aren't defined anymore by success or the lack of success or what you made on that grade or what school that you got into or what school you didn't get into or how you're doing in your business, or how your music is being heard, or how your art is being received, or who's celebrating you, or who's not celebrating you. Imagine a community, that's not our identity anymore. Imagine a community where our identity is not cool. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are so cool, I wish I could be like some of you. <laughs> and it is such a huge temptation for me to wear that identity. Imagine a community where we don't. Imagine where my identity is not defined by my race. It's not defined by my past. 
And here's a huge one. And some of you are not going to get it, and that's okay because that's not your struggle. Others of you, this is going to go right to the heart. Imagine a community of people that aren't defined by the expectations that are put on us for the future. But rather, we are defined by the transformation that has happened with us. That Jesus came, and He removed my sin, He removed my shame. And He has given me a new name, and He has given me a new identity, and He has called me son. He's called you daughter. Imagine that being our story. That we're not orphans anymore, and we refuse to live like orphans. We're adopted. Have you ever been to an orphanage? Uh, I mean like a third world orphanage. And it's weird because, you know, I've been to several of them over my life and traveled around the world. And you come in and the kids are kind of standoffish. But by the end of the day, they're crawling all over you, you know. And then by the end of the week, you know, you can't, like they're in your shirt and stuff, you know. And they're just, they're in your hair. And they just, you don't own anything anymore. You've given them everything you have. And you're leaving the orphanage at the end of your trip with there. And you're barefoot. And you probably don't have a shirt anymore. And you're just kind of making your way to the van because it's all gone. And the kids are just clinging to and they're loving you. And guess what? You get in the van and you're crying and they're crying because this has been so significant for them. That's not the church. That's a beautiful picture, but it's not the church. But we treat the church like that. You're going to go home today. And what are you going to say? I went to church. That orphan watches us drive away and says, that was a great experience. That was so much fun. I wish they would come back and play kickball with us again tomorrow. That's not the church. The church is get in the van with us. Get in the van and come with me. And when you walk into my house, I want you to know this is your house. And when you look at me, you call me daddy. Because now my name is your name. That's the church. And we stop living like orphans that wish that Jesus would come and play with us again next Sunday. And we start living like those that wear the name of our Savior. Because we who are not a people are now a people. We're the church. That's transformation. Okay. Well, I could get on a roll of this. I'm not going to... Obviously, I preach. Okay? <laughs> and I want you to know that, uh, you know, because this is the song I need to sing in my own heart every day. Imagine a movement where we're free to acknowledge our need. Okay, this is a biggie. And let me just... I wish we had all day to talk about it. But imagine a community where we actually stop hiding from one another. Imagine the gospel transformation that's taking place that's so strong that we stop pretending that we've got it all together. That we start being honest. You know, it's the great cover-up. I grew up in the church, and it's kind of funny because the church I grew up in, they had testimonial time. A lot of times at the covered dish suppers, and some of you know what that means. And, uh, and some of you get up and they say, Hello, my name's Earl. And uh, I grew up in the cell. <laughs> 32 years ago, my came to know Jesus. And uh, he set me free from alcoholism and drug abuse. And I used to pick my nose, you know. Or... I was like, oh, that's great, that's great. Imagine somebody standing up and saying, hello, my name is. This is what I struggled with last night. This morning, I was mean to my wife and I struggle with my relationship with her. And God is setting me free from that right now by not letting me live in shame. Imagine the distance between the reality of my life and the story of Jesus gets closer and closer and closer until we are in the moment of now. Imagine that kind of community where we see length and we're not shocked by each other's sin. 
that we embrace each other honestly and we encourage one another in repentance and believing the gospel for each other. That we actually begin to carry one another. And it becomes our greatest joy when our friends can't get off the ground because life has knocked them down and sometimes by their own hands. And we say, that's okay, I'll carry you now. Because as I see you, I want to be honest with me. It's funny, a few years back, I was teaching pretty regularly over at the rescue mission and befriended Rocky. And it's crazy because Rocky disappeared. He was a recovering addict and he was about this tall and he was 24 and he was like, man, he was just full of energy. Like he just bounced around you, you know, ticker, you know, and he's just, and he disappeared. And some of the guys called me one night and said, hey, we found Rocky. We don't have a car. We can't leave. Would you go get him? And they gave me this seedy address. And I go and I'm climbing up the stairs of this, you know, real dark, you know, apartment complex. And I'm knocking on the door and Rocky answers the door and literally falls back. And when I walk into his apartment, I had to be careful where I stepped because there were so, so many needles in the room. And so I scoop up Rocky and I bring him down and put him in my car and I bring him back and all his buddies reach into the car and they take him out and they are literally kissing him and carrying him back up to the rehab center. What kind of love does that? It says you messed up. You broke all your vows. You made all these commitments to us. You're home. Imagine a community where we do that with each other. That's gospel transformation. A place where we see each other deeply. Where our conversations go to the hidden places. And you know what I'm talking about. Those places that it's holy ground when we enter into with each other. And we not only go there, but we want to be found there with the people that we love. And we want to let our friends in and our community in. Because what happens when they come in? And this is serious. We bring healing. A gospel transformed community that actually believes that Christ in you, the hope of glory, wants to heal the people sitting around you. See, I, I, I'm praying that one day when we say, will the shepherds of this community please stand, that almost the entire room would stand. The shocking. The shepherds, the mentors, the teachers in this community. Those who actually believe that God is pleased to work through us. Okay, wow. Okay, let me run through this. I hate to run through, but let me do it. And the gospel transformation looks like we actually believe that the kingdom is coming. What I mean by that is, when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two while he was still alive, and that wasn't Noah's Ark, um, he said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, here's what I want you to do when you go out. As you go, proclaim this message. Matthew 10, 7. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Can you imagine a community that is transformed in their hearts and it translates into their hands and their feet? A community of gospel transformation that actually cares for the poor, that cares for the weak, that cares for the orphans and the widows, that we fight for justice, that we usher the kingdom into the world that is hungry. 
And actually, we rearrange our lives. We move to other parts of the world, as some of you are doing. We go to other neighborhoods, as some of you are doing. That we believe that we can actually usher in the kingdom. Because where we go, the king goes. And where he goes, he brings light. And here's what's so beautiful is that we start right here. Mother Teresa says, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. And then she says this, we must find each other. Imagine a gospel-transformed community where this morning you would open your eyes and say, Lord, I want to find somebody. You see somebody standing alone or someone in an awkward moment or the couple that doesn't seem to know anybody or just someone who's in need and just reaching out and saying, I don't know what to do, but where I go, the king goes. I'm stepping in. Or joining a small group and saying, I hate doing small groups. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? And yet we step right in. And then that translates into the world. Okay. So that's gospel transformation. It's a picture of it. You hear us talk about it every week. The last four weeks, I think Jesus came in and just kind of turned the tables all over for all of us. But why multiple congregations? Doesn't Midtown or doesn't Nashville have enough churches? Well, it's going to shock you to hear this, but hear this. It is the vision of our leadership that this year Midtown would launch two new congregations. Two more congregations. Why would we do that? Let me hit it real quick. This will take three minutes and probably create a lot of problems and questions. We believe in something crazy here. God is not calling us to build a mega church. Simple as that. We think that God's calling us to build a community church. What I mean by that is when you have a mega church, which God uses and they're beautiful and all their glory and how God wants to use them, I'll leave that up to God. But you have all these people coming in from all over the region. I would call them regional churches. And regional churches rarely impact their region. But community churches almost always impact their community. Our vision is to start this movement of gospel transformation in communities. Community churches that are in community, of that community, and for that community. You know, what's funny is, uh, I don't know if we can change the world. Whenever, have you ever gone to church and you've heard things like, we're going to change the world. Our vision is, you know, here and beyond. Who's that from Toy Story, you know? And... I'm like, wow, really? Like, change? What does that mean? Like, what has changed the world? Maybe like the hula hoop? I don't know. Maybe the iPhone has changed the world? I don't know. But I don't know if I've ever been a part of anything that's really actually changed the world. Have you? Like some of you, maybe y'all have invented diseases that have changed the world? I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Go home today and think about while you're listening to the funk. What, is, what have you done to change the world? George Washington Carver. If you don't know about this guy, you ought to read about him. He was an African-American scientist who was attributed to saving the economy of the South. He was born into slavery, became a scientist, brilliant man. He used to pray this prayer. 
Lord, unveil for me the mysteries of the universe. And he would pray that every day, every day, every day as a scientist. Until one day he realized, God, I can't handle the mysteries of the universe. And you know what he changed his prayer to? God, would you unfold the mysteries of the peanut? And that is what he dedicated a large part of his life for, is learning the use of the peanut. And the use of that peanut transformed the economy of the South. Imagine us saying, Lord, I'm not sure what we can do about the world. But Lord, would you teach us how to love 12 South? Would you teach us how to love downtown? Would you teach us how to love the community that you live in? Because we honestly believe here that when God changes you, that change is going to bring a light to the world that you live in. And that world will never be the same again. Will that change the world? I don't know. I think maybe the hula hoop. Maybe that changed the world. I don't know. The second thing, mega church versus community church, is mega star versus ordinary guys. I don't know how to say this, that we believe in a team of pastors here. And I, I was playing golf with a guy once that we were just got paired up together and we were just talking. And I don't know how the conversation turned to church. I didn't turn it there. He turned it there. And then he made this statement to me. He goes, can I just be honest with you? And I said, well, I guess, who are you? I don't even know your name. And he goes, he's getting ready to swing. And he goes, man, pastors just creep me out. <laughs> That's what creeps me out, is I'm a pastor. <laughs> creeps me out. When people leave and go, man, I don't know, but that guy up front just weirds me out. I'm like, of course, I understand. Like Woody Allen, he goes, I would never date a girl that would date a guy like me. I'm like, I, it's... And I'm telling you, there are guys in this country and in this world that God's using in supernatural ways that just God bless them. And they got YouTube videos and books and all kinds of videos, you know, all that stuff. And God is using that. That's great. But we really have a desire and a passion here that God wants to take very ordinary people and do extraordinary things. That when we lock our arms together, we do something more than we could ever do alone. And because we believe that, we believe that planting new congregations calls you out to be leaders, it calls us out to be leaders, and it makes our circle bigger with people that say, I want to hold hands with you guys. That's a huge value for us. Okay. Can I tell you this last story and then I'm through? Because I think it sums it up. And I've told this story before, but it's worth saying it again. About two years ago, when we were over in the other building, we just started 12 South. Uh, this college girl came up to me, I don't even remember her name, at the end of the service, and it was in May, and she goes, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'm graduating in just a couple of weeks, and um, I just wanted to introduce myself to you because I'm moving away, and I'll probably never come back to Nashville, and I'll never have another chance to say hi to you. I said, great. It's perfect. You're leaving? Now you come up and say hi. Because I creep you out, right? And uh, she said, no. She goes, uh, I just wanted to tell you that I didn't grow up in the church. This whole Jesus thing was a complete foreign thing to me. A friend brought me here, and I came to know the Lord through Midtown. And God has taught me a lot about His grace and His love through you and through the people in this place. And I just wanted to say thank you before I left. Uh, wow, all right, thank you. And... So I'm driving home from the service, 
And it was almost like the Lord just kind of came down and said, what if that was what it was all for? I'm like, what are you talking about, Lord? He goes, what, what if all of this was just for her? What if I had a daughter that I had no other way to find than for us to have this elaborate thing start called Midtown Fellowship? And you preach all these sermons so you can get yourself ready just to speak to her because she's mine. And I was coming after her. Would that be okay with you? Would that be alright that everything that you've done sums up to one girl that you can't even remember her name? I was like, yeah. Because if your love is that extravagant for her, then I know it's that extravagant for me. And that's what we're about here. Is us stepping into the journey of a father whose love is so extravagant that maybe everything we're doing today is just for you. Could it be? I think it could be. Because he's that extravagant. But what's cool is that when he loves on us like that, he always draws us into his family. Where not only do we experience a new identity, we also experience a new journey of being honest. And a new journey of now, we are those that take the kingdom with us. God's called us to do that through multiple congregations here. Alright? Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you. That you're good in all of this. And we pray, Father, that you would press deep into our hearts as we long for that gospel transformation for our own lives. And we pray, Father, that you'd let, let us dare to believe that your love is that extravagant. In Christ's name.